Hello, and welcome to this episode of Take 15. My name is Bud Hazlitt, and I'm the head of risk management, derivatives, and alternative investments here at CFA Institute. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with Gordon Fowler. He's the president and chief investment officer for Glenmead. And Gordon, welcome. Good to be here, Bud. The recent financial crisis has called into question some of the basic tenets of asset allocation. Could you possibly tell us how the private advisor can add value to the investment management process? Well, this is a fascinating question, Bud. I've been in both the institutional side of the business and the private client side of the business, and the difference is really striking. In the institutional side of the business, um, the, the objective is well known, you know, outperform a benchmark. The process is pretty well standard. Uh, you do the same thing for everybody. And there's always a passive benchmark that, uh, almost always a passive benchmark that the client could default to. Um, with the private client, um, the, the gaps are, are striking in that um, the goals are going to be different for almost every client. The process by which you achieve those, those goals can vary by client. And then there really is no default benchmark for a private client. Um, at the end of the day, private clients want to make money and not lose it. Do better um, than their neighbors. Exactly. Um, or just achieve a set of objectives, and that's a, that's a good point, because the first thing a private client portfolio manager needs to do um, is understand their client's goals. Now, that could be as simple as, I want to outperform the S&P 500, or it could be more complex, like, I want to earn a fair amount of income, um, I've got a grandchild I want to help put through college and uh, achieve uh, you know, a down payment on their home, um, and I'm retiring soon, so I can't tolerate a lot of downside risk to my portfolio. And again, for every different client, you could have a different story. Um, there's no one strategy on how to approach that, and really, the idea of the passive alternative is, is tricky. Uh, you know, what is a passive alternative for, for a private client? It's a 60-40 portfolio of stocks and bonds, and if stocks, you know, which index do you choose? Is it the S&P? Is it a global stock index? Mm, very difficult. Gordon, how should a wealth manager approach asset allocation? Well, I think there are three things to keep in mind. I, you, can, you can fall back on the standard sort of efficient frontier uh, type of techniques. Um, we've, over the last few years, sort of moved towards a system where we instead don't just look in terms of, of multiple assets, but divide them up into stable assets and risk assets uh, and try to achieve the right balance for uh, clients. Um, there's a fellow named Ashvin Chabra who's done some interesting mm. writing and research on this. Yes. Yeah. Um, and what he'll argue for private clients is that there's a third category which is aspirational assets, you know, stuff that doesn't necessarily fit with an efficient frontier, but fits sort of the desires of, the typical, of many private clients, which is to have assets which provide, let's say, a tremendous amount of upside, but also contain a fair amount of risk and have a fair amount of specific risk. In other words, things that, that don't really fit within that standard Markowitz frontier. You know, figuring out what the balance there is, is part of the job of the portfolio manager. Um, the second thing I think you need to bear in mind is when you are creating an asset allocation for uh, a client, 
you need to integrate that with real-world financial variables. In other words, it's not enough just to sort of say expected return and risk. It's important to be able to translate those um, risks and returns into things like what's the probability that I'm going to run out of money before I uh, pass away, um, what's the variability of the income that could be coming to me. In other words, things that a client can really grasp. And the last thing I think that's important about asset allocation is it shouldn't be approached purely from an efficient markets perspective. I think you want to incorporate uh, valuation thoughts. You are the client's shopper, if you will. And um, at any point in time, you want to make sure that you're tilting the portfolio, allocating towards uh, the most undervalued, attractive assets. What role does indexing play in a taxable portfolio? Well, there, there are some decent arguments for indexing within a taxable portfolio. Um, index funds or ETFs are generally low cost, um, and they are relatively tax efficient over time. There are two things about indexing, though, um, that people should bear in mind. The first is that I, I think in many ways they're valuation perverse. They get you to invest more in things that go up over time. You know, at the height of the tech bubble, tech stocks accounted for um, you know, 30% of the S&P 500. The last uh, bubble that we had was real estate. You know, um, financial stocks got well uh, over 20% of the S&P 500. So I do think there's an argument to be made for at least some form of active management that shifts away from under overvalued sectors. At the very least, you may, even if you don't beat the market, there's a good shot you'll do a better job of risk control uh, for, your, for your clients. So the second thing is that there's an advantage to having a portfolio of individual stocks, uh, particularly as you start taking gains and losses. Um, if you're holding an index fund, you can only control the index fund uh, gain and loss at that fund level, whereas you can pick off individual stocks to either take losses or gains or gift uh, if you've got an individual portfolio. The other thing to note about sort of tax awareness for uh, private clients is, in a sense, it may have limited um, limited uh, value or benefit because if you realize a set of gains and pay taxes on that, um, you, if you can, let's say, defer it ad infinitum, as is with step up in, in um, uh, the estate tax law as it is, uh, has been written, um, there's real value added to avoiding those taxes permanently. But if all you're doing is deferring the recognition of taxes somewhere down the road, then um, the value of that can be pretty limited. Um, it's limited really to how much you can earn on sort of reinvestment from the, 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 the taxes that you are paying to the government uh, at a later date rather than an earlier date. Is, uh, is there a role for alternative investments in the taxable portfolio? I think the, the first thing to bear in mind is alternative assets are not for everyone. They, they come with um, some, some real issues. One is liquidity. Um, you know, I think a lot of investors didn't realize how illiquid some alternatives would be uh, during the last downturn. Uh, so you, they should be subject to whatever your personal liquidity constraint is. Um, the, the other issue is transparency, too. Um, 
you know, understanding what is underneath the hood uh, with the particular investment. And while that might just be a psychic benefit uh, to a client, it's important if you want them to be a long-term investor. I think one of the effects of this past market has been to uh, increase the demands for investors for greater levels of transparency. Gordon, are American investors uh, more risk-averse than the typical European or Asian client? Well, you know, this is interesting. I, I, I spent a good chunk of my, the early part of my, my private client career uh, working not just with American investors, uh, but also with European and Asian investors. And, and the psychology there was very different. Uh, European and Asian investors were much more absolute rate of return oriented. Uh, you'd ask them, you know, sort of, well, what benchmark do you want to beat? And they'd sort of shrug their shoulders and say, benchmark. Um, Whereas American investors, particularly during the, the 1990s, would have said, you know, what's, are, can you beat the S&P 500? You know, sort of, there's, there's my bottom line. And what we've seen over the last few years is a combination of poor markets, uh, a change in the psychology, I think, of Americans with a little less optimism about sort of growth in America being a foregone conclusion and therefore translating itself into growth in the stock market. Um, which, which is a negative, but you also have seen on a more positive perspective a more willingness to take global bets, more, uh, more global outlook. Um, and you also have seen, uh, of course, the aging of the baby boom. Now, I think all those things are changing the allocations of, of private investors to being a little bit more risk averse, a little bit more absolute return oriented, and I think from a positive, very positive perspective, a little more globally oriented. Are you surprised at how quickly the individuals seem to have embraced uh, taking extra risks now after the challenges we had a couple years ago? Back in 2007 and 2008, there was just such a, um, a reluctance for anyone to su assume any risk, and now they seem to be jumping back into things. Um, have you found that? or You know, it's interesting. I, 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 we've, we've been cautioning clients relatively continuously on on the markets and believing that there's still a fair amount of um, unfinished business to, to be dealt with. So I would say actually with the client base that we're dealing with, um, it, we're not seeing a huge increase in risk appetite. If anything, there's the feeling that people should be taking, we should be taking profits, uh, we should be locking it in. Uh, and can I find something that will reasonably give me more income? How does a portfolio manager respond when a standard investment policy across clients does not specifically deal with certain issues uh, for an individual client? Let's assume you get in a situation where um, the, the, the investment policy that your organization uh, wants the client to pursue is going to uh, let's say take some taxes or incur some risk that you really don't think is appropriate for the client. In that case, I would be very straightforward with the client. Say it. You know, if if in fact your organization's product is not appropriate, uh, come right out and say it. Um, the the client will appreciate that for forever. Remember you for it, and your organization should feel the same way, because there's nothing worse than getting. 
uh, a client uh, or a prospect in an inappropriate strategy. Great. Well, Gordon, thank you very much for sharing your insights on private client management, and uh, we look forward to talking to you in the future. Thanks, bud. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Take 15. Copyright 2010, CFA Institute. No part may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical, recording, or otherwise, without the express prior written permission of CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.